0: Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports, your home
2: for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.
1: I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Jason Staples and Buck Sanders. The morning after, I'm going to steal your column title book for this podcast, the Duke aftermath. Carolina falls to Duke at home, 27-17, goes to 1-3 on the year with Georgia Tech looming on the horizon. Buck, I'll just go to you first. I mean, this season's in dire straits at this point. Losing to Duke is never good, uh, no matter what the record. Your overall take on what you saw on Saturday.
2: Well, I think it was kind of a a tale of two sides of the ball, really. And I think we could go back to one of the topics of conversations we had earlier in the week, which was – given Duke's gaudy defensive numbers, are they really as good as those numbers suggested? And and I don't believe they are. I still believe they were inflated before the North Carolina game based on who they had played. But as far as their defense is concerned, Baylor put 41 on Oklahoma yesterday and made a real game out of that. So, uh, Duke held them, I think, to, what, 20 points. The defense at Duke, I think, is probably the best one in the David Cutcliffe era. Uh, so, you know, the, the defense on the Duke side, I think, was legit, is legit. How really good that'll hold up over the course of the season, that's hard to pinpoint because, you know, an injury here or there, one or two people go down. Uh, it changes the whole complexion of the game, as we've seen with North Carolina. So, you know, right now, given that they had one person on the injury report, uh, there there's a good a defense as maybe there may be a top three or four defense in the ACC, if not higher. So, you know, that's that's one side of the equation. On the other side of the equation. I thought North Carolina's defense played very well. Um, they had a few breakdowns. Uh, that one play to Raman on that forty-eight yarder, I, I, that was just a great catch on his part. They had that, they had him bracketed, and maybe one of those players should have been able to get to the ball. But that was just he got a fifty-fifty ball and and just made a great play. The touchdown to the tight end early on. I don't know if that's a linebacker issue or a secondary issue. I've heard it both ways. Uh, I haven't looked at the tape, and even if I did, again, I'm not Jason Staples. I wouldn't be able to break that down. That's a, a task for Jason uh, maybe in over the next couple of days. I, I thought their defense was really, really good in the red zone. They only gave up one TD out of four trips into the end zone by Duke. And just overall, defensively, you know, I think it's interesting what they're doing with MJ Stewart, who was, in my opinion, the best player on the field yesterday for either team. Uh, But ever since they've put uh, Miles Wolfork and then in as the nickel, which Duke picked on him a good bit, but I thought he held his own pretty well yesterday. Ever since Wolfork has come in as the nickelback, they've been able to do different things with. MJ Stewart he's leading the team in sacks right now and it's third on the team in tackles for loss so he's not Doran James by any stretch of the imagination but they're starting to use him as a little bit of that Swiss army knife type player so uh, from a different position from the corner position defensively I thought they were pretty good I think they were good enough to win defensively really. They gave up twenty points uh the The offense gave up that horrible pick six, but Surratt there was just trying to make a play it's it's um one of those games where you watch it and you hear players talk about you know we were just one or two plays away, and you you think about it and you look at it and you say yeah they're they're right, they were just a couple of plays away um We could get into that. Coaching decision there at the end of the game, not to kick the field goal. I think it's a mistake. Everybody I talk to thinks it's a mistake. You got to have two scores anyway. Why not get a quick one? Then you might put a little bit more pressure on Duke, I think, and and maybe cause them to make a mental mistake. So uh, I think Larry was just being stubborn there. um, and, And I think that's a flaw.
0: That's not stubborn. That's just he didn't think. And then he had to come up with a post hoc explanation after the game. That's not stubborn. That's just – that's. come on.
1: Let's let's go ahead and talk about it because, I'll be honest, at the game, and I'm looking at the play-by-play. So, Carolina has a first and 10 at Duke 27 with a minute 16 seconds left. I said kick the field goal at that point. People around me in the stands looked at me like I was crazy. And then I had to explain, look – You've got to score twice anyway, Well, they're going to miss the field goal. If they miss the field goal, they're going to lose anyway. But you have to give your kids a chance, especially given what's been going on with the injuries and all that. So they don't kick it then. They get a first down, first and 10 at the Duke 13. You have to kick the field goal at that point, in my opinion. They didn't do it then. They didn't do it then. They didn't do it the next play. Then they, of course, Duke runs the clock out. Jason, it happened in the Cal game. Once, okay, twice becomes a trend. And this is not the first time, not even the fifth time, sixth time that this coaching staff, and it falls on Larry Fedora specifically, has made boneheaded plays in the fourth quarter of football games that have cost North Carolina either a win or or a good chance to win. Yesterday is a rivalry game. I get it. You want to stick it in there and then play for the field goal to tie. Give me some rationale as to why, in my opinion, the staff let these players down. And I'll ramble on a little bit more. We talked a lot last week. Mike Ingersoll, EJ Wilson talked a lot last week about the players and not getting it and not giving enough. They gave enough on Saturday against Duke to at least have a chance at the end. And I felt like Fedor and his staff, whether it's harsh or not to say, I felt like they took it away from the players to give them that opportunity. Your take.
0: Yeah, you know, question, what was the spread again?
1: It dropped. Yeah,
0: it, it dropped, you know. Uh, but, you know, let's say you got in midweek. It was something like three, three, three and a half, right? right? Uh,
2: it was three, and then it went to one.
0: Okay, so if it was three, and maybe if you just score a touchdown at the end, you know, then, then you, you've covered your spread. I, it's it's really it's really hard to explain yeah I don't, I don't
2: know that's what was going on jason but okay
0: well actually i will say that there that some coaches actually do you know there there is awareness in the coaching fraternity that if you lose a game but you at least cover then your boosters are less unhappy because they didn't because the the the, the sporting gentlemen among them who are likely to have uh bet on their own team or are, are They didn't get a double loss, so I mean that is something that I'm I'm, I've been told before. Some coaches are aware of. I'm not saying that that's necessarily the case here, but that's like I'm searching for a a logical explanation because Fedora certainly did not give one in the post game. You know, Tommy, you're completely right that if you want to win that game, once you get into very obvious kicking range where your guys basically kicking an extra point and you got a minute and 15 seconds left you kick the you kick the field goal now because if you if you don't maybe you take it maybe you take a quick shot or two at the end zone but what you don't do is you don't throw short of the end zone you don't throw you know and and let let clock run at that point because you know you you're in position where you can go ahead and get those first three and you can go but th- they didn't do that And then the thing that's just completely inexcusable is you're on fourth down with, what was it, 13 or 14 seconds left?
1: and They had 34 seconds left on third down. Yeah, but I'm talking about fourth down. I mean, on fourth down, according to the game clock, looking at the, and I haven't rewatched the game, they had 34 seconds left on fourth and 12.
0: Yeah, on fourth and 12, you know that you're unlikely both the touchdown, as was shown on the three previous plays, and you're l- unlikely to get the first down because it's fourth and twelve. So the only thing that gives you a even a semblance of a chance to win that game is to kick the field goal because you need it anyway, and to take your chances on the onside kick. That's the only way. I mean, that's just straight arithmetic. I mean, a third grader could get that, and. That's the part where I, there's no explanation for why, no, no, no good explanation for why at that point you say, yeah, you know, well, I just thought we could put it in the end zone. I thought our chances of getting a fourth and 12 were better than our chances. Okay. So our chances of getting, of scoring a touchdown on fourth and 12, then getting an onside kick and then kicking a long field goal were better than our chances of, Kicking a field goal now, getting the same onside kick we'd have had to get anyway, and then managing somehow to get a you know, get a throw into the end zone for a touchdown. It, it's just it, it, there's no rationale, no no good reason behind it. It's not stubborn. It's just stupid. There's a difference between stubborn and stupid, and that this one I don't
1: get at all. And and Buck, people are saying somebody said to me leaving, oh, they've got so many injuries, you can't blame them for that. That play calling at the end has nothing to do with injuries. In fact, it makes the injuries make it even more obvious to try to scheme something to get your kids in position to win. And I can already hear the responses on this podcast. Larry Fedor didn't tell Chasserrat to check down and throw short of the end zone. Even more reason you kick the field goal as a coaching staff, because you have to put your guys in position to win. Chas did the best he could against the Duke team that does a lot of things to get into the heads of a young quarterback. That's what Cutcliffe does. That's what Duke executed perfectly. So on the other side of the field, as a staff, you have to counteract that to give your guys a chance. And I'm just not seeing that. And I did not see it for sure yesterday in the fourth quarter, which is the fifth straight game Carolina's led going into the fourth quarter, including the Stanford bowl game. And they have one win. But your take.
2: Well, what what is there to have a take about? I mean, you're you're right. I mean, in that situation, you kick the field goal and you move on and live to fight another day. Hopefully you can get the 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 field goal, the the onside kick, and then take a few shots at the at the end zone. The other way around, you don't you know you've got the field goal. You don't know you've got the touchdown. So why not take what you have and then hope for something better next time around? You never know. You can get a, a pass interference call, you can, you know, connect on one of those Rad Ratliff bombs they had at the end of the first half what did he catch like three passes of about 40 yards down there or something on those, that was the last two drives. So, yeah. Um, you know, I think you're right. I don't think there's much to argue about there. So, um, I think we probably plucked all the feathers off of this Turkey.
1: (laughs) I don't disagree, Jason. I just had to get off that soapbox because that, that a, a coach's job is to put his players in position whichever players they are. And, Jason, let's talk about these injuries. Toe Groves works his way all the way back. Some debate whether he should have played, should not have played. He played and gets hurt again. Austin Parole gets hurt on another freak, Matt Collins-type injury. And then Tyler Powell goes down into scrum over there. I mean, I know you keep saying Florida State in 2011, injury bug was similar, but i tell you what. There is not in my lifetime have guys just dropped like they have for this North Carolina team. The reasons we can get into, I don't think there's any rational reason, but maybe there is Jason, your thoughts.
0: You know, um, he, this is an interesting thing because you know, there, a number of people on the board, social media and otherwise have asked about, you know, it's been strength and conditioning, you know, couldn't they have conditioned these guys better in the offseason? Is there some? And I kept saying, no, they're, they're doing, you know, industry standard stuff, but there is something that, that came up. I, I was talking to somebody very close to the situation yesterday who made a point to me that I, I, I was less aware of before talking to this person uh, who said, you know, there's, there's, there is one thing, there's a problem. And that's specifically that this uh, that, that they're asking these guys, they're having these guys in season. So this isn't, this isn't preparation. This isn't a matter of, of conditioning coming into the season, which is fine. The problem is that right now in season, they're asking these guys to max out during the week.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's your, your yes. response. Yeah, yeah. So they've been I having... Have- I have no idea how to respond to that because yeah, they,
0: they've been having these guys squatting, say, 400 plus pounds during during season. Now, listen, I think that there is a place for some heavy lifting during season. I mean, I think it's important to do that to keep your strength up and, and so on, more so at some positions than others. You know, you do need to lift heavy periodically, but you do not. In my view, you I, I think it's irresponsible to max for, for 1 uh, and even you know above a certain you know above a certain threshold you're not getting any benefit to going so heavy during season and what that does is it it, it puts you on a very heavy so so when you go that heavy uh, let's say you go above 85 90% the demands on your musculature and on your ligaments, on your connective tissue are very high. So you fatigue your body, first of all. But the other part of this is that your central nervous system fatigue is really high. So from a strength conditioning perspective, what, 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 you, what, what you have to worry about there is anytime you are re- having, your, your body has to recruit so much of your musculature to actually lift so anytime you anytime you go to lift something your body your central nervous system has to decide okay how much do i really need to how many how many of my muscle fibers what percentage of my muscle fibers do i really need to recruit to actually do this and you know if you're lifting 15 pounds your body you know decides okay this is how much i need to how many fibers i need to recruit versus Okay. I need to get, you know, 90 percent of my my fibers going otherwise I'm not going to lift this. I mean, we all know kind of how that works, but what happens is when you have to put the neurological power essentially, it's 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 a it's a totally different way of thinking about it, but when you have to recruit that much of your of your muscle mass to do something it's fatiguing actually on your nervous system, on your central nervous system, in addition to your musculature. And those of you who who do some, you know, more casual working out, some of you may do, you know, various types of more intense type stuff. Some of the listeners, you'll you'll probably be aware of how this works that, you know, some days you may not even even have have lifted for that long, but if you lifted heavy. You might actually feel like a little bit just even mentally tired the next day or two afterwards. And that's from that CNS fatigue. So this is the thing is when you do that in season, when you go heavy, when you go that heavy, as heavy as I was told they've been going in season, then that that fatigues the body. And, and, and this is something I've said in the past, tired bodies do get, you know, and and I've called this to mind in, in, in service of, well, when you don't have a whole lot of depth, you wind up getting more injuries because guys are more tired and more tired guys get hurt. That's something we know. Well, yeah, but if you're also coming in already a little bit fatigued because you lifted so heavy and because you, uh, because you're, you know, your CNS is also fatigued, then that does make knee injuries and certain non-contact type injuries in particular more likely. So that, that makes me wonder whether or not, you know, there is some factor there that they need to reconsider uh, on that end of things. Now, some stuff, I mean, Austin Proles injury, uh, you know, it's a shoulder injury. It's one of those freak injuries that, you know, you're taking Anytime you have that kind of catch in the middle of the field where you've got a defender uh, bearing down on you like that from behind, that's the real danger is, is that kind of collarbone injury. And, you know, unfortunately, that's what happened. And, it, it, you know, frankly, if Surratt just puts the ball out in front of him a little bit more, he scores instead of getting tackled, you know, and, 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 and lost. And that's not, a, that's not a lifting injury. That's not, nothing you can do to condition – with the collarbone, if you land wrong, but there's some other ones that, you know, you wonder, was this guy a little bit tired because of, of how they, how they've handled that during the season. And and I know they use, you know, the GPS system and all that to work on, to worry about player load and all that, but you still have to worry about what player load has been put on in terms of the weight room and, and in terms of central nervous system fatigue and all that. And sometimes even the 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 systems like the catapult system the gps system that they uh whatever they use maybe maybe they're not assessing that as well as they as they could and some of these players are coming in a little bit fatigued and and uh the 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 joints are are not are not doing doing so well either way given the nature of how things look i think they certainly need to re-examine and reconsider what's what's happening because this is this is not good (laughs)
1: Thanks, Jason. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast. We'll be right back after these messages. And, Buck, I know you have an opinion on this. Let's hear it.
2: Well, where, where I come down on the whole strength and conditioning is it, are they doing everything they could? Are they doing something wrong? You know, unless they've changed something from 2015, then I don't get it. You know, if if they changed staff or changed their way they approach uh, strength and conditioning or brought in a new way of doing stuff, since 2015, I would understand it better. But 2015, they had like zero injuries. I think that entire year, they lost seven starts to injury. And so far this year, they've lost 31. I think it's more than that. Uh, at this point so you know we can pick us apart and and talk about this that and the other but you know maybe they have changed something why they would I don't know if you've got a system and it works like it obviously did in 2015 then I don't know why you would all of a sudden say okay let's see if we can't start lifting heavy you know during the week and then Last year, they had a few more injuries. I think they had 31 for all of last year, but they're ahead of that pace for this year. And, and some of the things that are happening, like like Jason said, uh, you know, have uh, to prol, you know, obviously have nothing to do with that. And when I'm watching injuries, for the most part now, Toe Groves was different. He, nobody came anywhere close to him. It was just, you know, he just when he came down on his leg, whatever happened, happened. But most of the other injuries I'm seeing, you know, people are getting rolled and, you know, there's contact.
0: There's there. not much you can do on the roll on getting rolled on. There's nothing you can do there. And my response initially was the same as yours, Buck, that they were as healthy as any team I've ever seen in 2015. But so I don't know if they're changing
2: changed. something, then I, I don't get it. And why they would change something makes no sense either. So yeah I, I, yeah,
0: I don't know. But I do know that the person that I talked to brought it up. And this is somebody that I think knows, you know, a decent amount in terms of this. And, and it's somebody who does have some idea of what was going on in 2015 as well. This person was saying, you know, I, I think they maybe they've been lifting too heavy during the season. Again, I, you know, I don't have all the information. But I know that right. the person that I talked to has more than I do. And brought up the question. So it's, it's at least a question that's worth asking.
1: <laughs> it's an interesting debate. I mean, I, I would like to know, Buck, as you said, is it different from 2015 to now? Then again, many of the players are different. So you have to you know, sort of tailor your approach to what you have player-wise. Buck, let me ask you, we get off that stuff over my head, Either way you shake it out, the injuries are just unreal. But now you go to a Georgia Tech team next Saturday that is the type of game that you want to be able to get out of healthy, just the way they play. How does Fedora and his staff get this team back? I've seen some tweets from the players, you know, we're going to get this figured out, stay with us, we'll get it going. But in reality, how tough is it on a staff, and Jason, I want your comments after Buck, to rebound or have your players rebound and get back at least, if not physically ready, mentally ready to continue going? Because after all, we're still in September, and this season's already been as long as I can recall for North Carolina thus far.
2: Well, uh, the good news, the good news about playing Georgia Tech is that Instead of worrying about, you know, what are you what you're going to look like going into the game, you're already beat to hell to start with. So what else have you got to lose, actually? So uh, I say that kind of tongue in cheek. But, you know, Fedora addressed it a little bit in his press conference when he said that, you know, we're not going to let Duke beat us twice, or we're not going to let one loss, you know, be two losses. And, you know, I'm not around the team on a daily basis, you know, uh, probably Ross or Greg will be somebody we can check in with during the week, but particularly from their comments after the Duke game, I got no indication that there's any kind of we're losing the locker room kind of situation going on, which kind of happened. And, in 2014, if you remember that now 2014 was a situation where you had a mixture of guys that Butch recruited and Everett Withers recruited and, and guys that Fedora had recruited. I don't, I think that may have played a factor. Not everybody was on the same page. So, and and there was a lot of chatter back and forth or comments made by players that were an indication that, the atmosphere in the locker room was not all it could be. We haven't really seen any comments like that yet. We haven't heard anything like that yet. That might be something that, as I said, Greg and Ross keep their ear to the ground about. But, you know, this this Georgia Tech game is going to be like every other Georgia Tech game ever played. They're the same team. They're the same team year in, year out. You, you know what they are, and, and you know you've got to do certain things to avoid those high-low blocks that actually got called in a North Carolina game. I hope we get those same refs in Atlanta next next Saturday. There's just so much you can do to make sure that you don't get cut, uh, that, you know, to get off blocks, you got to use your hands. Jason can talk all about that. Uh, but the, the problem is that a lot of the damage has already been done. I wrote about it this, this morning. Of the seven top receivers they had last year on the 2016 team, not a one of them were on the team anymore. The, the two that came back, really, the two leading ones are Pearl and Jackson. Jackson, we know, is gone, and we're pretty sure Pearl is as well, unless you can come back from a broken clavicle.
0: You can, but in it's, a year. It's, eight, it's eight weeks at, at best before you're really doing anything. He's he's It's probably pretty close to the season.
2: So their leading receiver right now is a guy that caught three passes last year. So there's just, they're extremely inexperienced now in, in, on the wide receivers. You know, we talked a little bit about them burning red shirts of some offensive linemen. Mike Ingersoll and some other guys have talked about that. Well, we might have to burn Marcus McKeithen's red shirt. But now, are they going to have to look at JT Coffin? Uh, are they going to have to look at Totman? You know, or, or are they going to have to try to find a way to get uh, Bo Corrales you know, more up to speed? Is Daz Newsome coming back? Uh, he was out again uh, on Saturday. So, you know, they started out the year with very little experience, but a lot of bodies. Now they're running out of bodies. Uh, they've got some guys, and and Fedora talked about it after the game. They had guys out there playing positions they had never played before, running routes they had never run in practice there at the end of the game, which makes that field goal decision even a little bit more dicier. So – You know, they've got some stuff to work through there. I don't think Georgia Tech's defense will be anything nearly as good as Duke's defense. I think they've got a a pretty good pass rusher. I saw a guy yesterday had a couple of sacks for him that looked pretty good for Georgia Tech. Uh, But it's nothing new. It's just a matter of are they going to have the personnel to get through this game? The offensive line played together almost the entire game, which was good to see Dillard and uh, Spain back. But, you know, they've just got to have the bodies and they lost Tyler Powell, uh, which we haven't even talked about. Um, and he was, it was good to have him back after his suspension because the week before Jalen Dalton went out. I don't, I don't know how long Dalton is, Dalton is going to be out. I've heard two to three weeks, maybe three weeks. I don't know what kind of plane they're going to use. They may need a, an ambulance plane to get down to Atlanta. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's, it's a tough situation all around. And listen, this sounds like excuses, but at some point you have to recognize that if you've got 16 players on injury list and the other team has one, you're playing with 16 less players than they are available to you. And that's not counting guys you're trying to redshirt. So, you know, that makes a difference. Regardless of what people say or think, you know, when, when you've got that much, and these, these guys are not walk-ons for the most part. You're talking about starters that are out. So, you know, it sounds like excuse-making, and people will accuse us of that, of course. But at some point, you have to, you know, say what you see. And what you see is a bunch of injured players.
1: Jason, wrap the show with some positives from the Duke game. I thought there were some. I think Anthony Ratcliffe Williams certainly showed he can be a playmaker that Carolina desperately needs. I thought M.J. Stewart looked. Pretty much fantastic on the defensive side. What else did you see? Well, I mean, I thought Surratt played really good
0: football with one pretty significant exception. I thought ratliff Williams was excellent. You know, I, I, I thought that, I thought Carolina played them defensively, like like Buck said earlier, much better than than I expected coming in. I mean, I thought there'd be more points scored in this game, actually on both sides. But you know, Carolina was able to was able to get some big plays. But uh, but wasn't able to run much, which we talked about in our our pregame. But what I what I was I I thought was was a real encouraging thing was again the the play of the secondary with Wolfolk in there is significantly better. I think I think overall the defense showed a good step forward against a a very good Duke offense. I mean that's a that's a quality Duke offense with a very good quarterback, uh, a couple playmakers. And, you know, they're very sound in what they do and what they ask you to do as a defense. I thought the defense played well and well enough to win, frankly. So there were some positives to come out. And I, I do want to go back to what Buck's saying about excuses. It's an excuse if you're, if you're, uh, if you're part of a team or part of whatever and you're, you're basically pointing at stuff and you say, well, you know, this is that. We're not part of a team. We don't play for UNC. We don't play for anybody else our job is to analyze and evaluate and the reality is that a healthy team a team that you know is is able to is able to uh, stay together longer and and make sure that everybody's everybody's in the places that they've been practicing since the since the fall is at an advantage that is not an excuse that's a fact that's analysis that's our job and so, you know, those of you out there who've been trained since you were a kid to say, no, that's just an excuse. Stop making excuses. We don't have to excuse anything. There's nothing for us to excuse. What we do need to do, though, is recognize the why of things. And sometimes, you know what, there's luck in certain factors that, that come into play for you know whether a team wins or loses a game, or has a successful season, and injuries are the first first step on that list. And ask any coach, off the record, what do you really need to have the season that you that you do? And the first thing that's going to come out of their mouth is, "Well, we got to stay healthy." Well, so I know that's not the most positive thing, but uh, but again, I think that there that there that there has been some some growth on defense. I thought they uh, they played with discipline. I think you know. Carolina has found a quarterback and that quarterback can, can do all the things that you really want uh, in the Carolina offense to be able to win. So, you know, th- there's some real positives to to go out on just in in those things
1: alone. Good stuff there. I agree with most all of it, but great having you on the podcast, uh, but like you say, we've plucked the feathers off this one. We'll look, <laughs> we'll look ahead to Georgia Tech in our later podcasts. Buck and Jason, thanks for getting with me on early on a Sunday morning. As always, we'll talk to you guys soon. Jason, continue to get well. Yep. Enjoyed it, guys.
2: Feel better, Jason. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports,
0: your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.